I would say the, the, the fundamental things around hydration, the things that we see athletes doing wrong all the time, which I think they can correct, is the first one is is to like start sessions well hydrated. But the thing is, when you tell athletes to start sessions well hydrated, they, they're probably just going to drink tons of water in the build-up, thinking that that's what you've got to do. And I'd say, don't, don't do that. Try having a very, very strong electrolyte drink. We make the pH 1500, which is about three times as strong as a regular sports drink. And just have a serving of that about an hour before you go out. And that, what happens then is the electrolytes in there pull more fluid into your bloodstream. They hold it there. So you start with a, a better blood volume and you, you're more ready to take the session on. And then once you, when you get into the session, it depends a lot on how long you're going for, you know, how much you sweat, what the weather's going to be like. And that's where probably the online sweat test that we do can come in handy because as you, you've done it yourself, it's it's free, it's very easy and quick. And that will give you some ideas as to whether you're someone, it sounds like you've got low, medium, high or very high losses. And then we can give you a bit of a strategy to follow in there. And those strategies are often guardrails rather than precise prescriptions because it's very, it's, it's impossible actually for anyone to tell you exactly what you need to drink and exactly how much and exactly when. But if you get some parameters around the two important things is like how much to drink in terms of volume per hour, roughly, and then how much sodium to have with that fluid, you can then take those numbers and play around in a zone around them and sort of do trial and error to get it right for yourself. And I think if you do that, and as well as starting sessions prehydrated, you're going a long way to figuring it out for yourself and getting the recipe right for you. And the worst thing people can do is copy what someone else does, because if you copy someone whose physiology or whose environment is a lot different to yours, then you can be well off the mark. So I would say, you know, think of yourself as an individual and get this right for you and don't worry about what other people are doing. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Triathlete Beat Podcast, season two, episode number three. I hope you all are doing well. Hope everyone is staying safe. I'm really excited about today's podcast because it's summer down here in South Florida. It is hot. It is humid. And we get into the topics of sweat and hydration with Andy Blow, the co-founder and CEO of Precision Hydration. Andy is a sports scientist with a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath. He's an expert in sweat, dehydration, cramping, and was an elite level triathlete and finished in the top 10 of Ironman and Ironman 70.3 races. He even won an Xterra world title. For those who don't know what an Xterra triathlon is, instead of running and biking through paved roads and parks, in an Xterra race you are mountain biking and trail running. So pretty badass for Andy to have won a world title in one of those. Andy and I discussed a variety of topics including those who lose a lot of salt when they sweat, aka salty sweaters. We talk about hydration for before, during, and after your training sessions and races. We talk about dehydration, hyponatremia, which is basically when you overhydrate yourself. And we also discuss the effects of having a beer before or after a race. If you know me, I just had to ask about beer. This was just a really fun and fascinating chat with Andy. You'll definitely learn a lot about hydration. And I hope his tips will help you on your next swim, bike, run, walk, hike, workout, gardening session, etc. I also found it pretty cool that in addition to endurance athletes, Precision Hydration has also worked with the NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL. You know, being a basketball fan myself, I definitely had to ask about hydration for NBA players, so that was a really cool part of the show. 
If you haven't heard about Precision Hydration before, they offer electrolyte supplements that match how you sweat and have a variety of products that will benefit all levels of sweaters. So basically, if you sweat a lot, if you sweat a little bit, if you lose a lot or a little bit of salt when you sweat, they have something for everybody. I personally tried their stuff during my training sessions in the 90 degree Fahrenheit temperatures and 90 degree humidity conditions of South Florida. And let me tell you, they definitely work. The Precision Hydration team was a pure delight to work with and they were awesome enough to offer 15% off any of my listeners' entire first order off their website, precisionhydration.com, if you just use the code TRIATHLETEBEAT at checkout. I can't believe I just said that. I have my very own discount code for the first time ever. So thank you so much, Precision Hydration. Thank you so much, Andy. And for all my listeners out there, go check out precisionhydration.com. Order something and you won't regret it. All right. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. And without further ado, here's my chat with Andy Blow. Mr. Andy Blow, Precision Hydration. Thank you so much for joining today. How's it going? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having us on, Jeremy. Good to be talking to you. Thank you. Talk about great timing. Shout out to the Precision Hydration team. I mean, I think they emailed me around a month ago in June, and now we are in the thick of summer. So that means training conditions at a high are like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 90% humidity. So when I got that email uh, to talk to you about hydration and and salt, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Great timing. I've, I've always thought that Florida was the place we were supposed to be with our with our products because oh, yeah. of our testing. Because it is it is killer what you guys have to train in. Yeah, I mean on Saturday mornings I like to get on the bike around six AM just to kind of beat the sun. But lately stepping into my garage to set up my bike, I'm already perspiring. It's like you're stepping into a sauna. Yeah. So before even stepping into the saddle, like I'm I'm sweating already. So with Florida and, and nice beaches and good weather also comes rainy season. So if you hear thunder, <laughs> the storm's rolling in. But uh, we're just going to keep on going. Andy, I think a great place to get started would be uh, just tell us a little bit how you got into triathlon and endurance sports and um yeah what's been your some of your highlight experiences yeah cool i've i was involved in triathlon quite a long time ago really um i know that it's triathlon was born in the in the in the 80s really i guess or the, the late 70s um i started doing triathlons in the in the mid 90s my dad got me into it um he was very supportive of doing all sorts of endurance sports when i because i used to play soccer and we used to go running to to train for for soccer training and it was pretty obvious after a while i guess that i was perhaps better at running without a ball at my feet than than with one so Mm. i sort of persisted with cross-country running did a bit of swimming and then fell into triathlon when it was just a tiny sport you know it was a really really strange thing to do and then I was fortunate enough to go and study at the University of Bath, which is in in England, um, one of the top sports universities, and we had a triathlon dedicated setup. And it was from there that I really got good coaching and and exposed to some top level athletes, and sort of started to pursue the sport a lot more, a lot more vigorously. Great, you got some like podium finishes, and like you got into Xterra racing and all that too. Yeah, I was. I originally had my sights set as a, a lot of young athletes do on the Olympic Games. So I was. I sort of mm. thought 2000 was the first Olympic Games in Sydney where triathlon was in, and I wasn't going to make the team for that. I was too young and inexperienced. But if I had a shot, it might have been at Athens 2004. So wow. I sort of trained pretty hard to try and go for that. But 
when I look back, the reality was I was perhaps good enough to be in the squad of guys that were, you know, that were training for it, but I was never going to make the team. So mm. once I figured that out, my, you know, I, I transitioned into doing Xterra and a bit of Ironman racing and I didn't have huge success, but I did win an Xterra age group world title. And I also, um, I got a couple of, a few top 10 finishes in some Ironmans, a couple of podiums in 70.3 and that kind of thing. So I would probably class myself as like a pretty, a very, very good amateur athlete or a very bad pro athlete somewhere <laughs> between the two. <laughs> I like the way the, the very, very good amateur it sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, congrats on all that. Those are some pretty, uh, pretty awesome accomplishments. The ex-terror races, that, that's when you, you're not swimming, biking, running in a city, right? You're going through the jungle or, or biking. Yeah. Can you tell us a little it's bit all, about how's that, you know? <laughs> it's, it's really cool, actually. It's, it's all off-road. Um, so the, you, you race on a mountain bike instead of a, instead of a normal triathlon like the swim is obviously pretty normal for a, mm-hmm. a triathlon swim usually in the ocean or in a lake then you you can have a crazy you know kind of mountain bike course and a trail run to finish and the world championships is held on maui so it's a cool oh. place to visit and yeah i love love that you bike up and down, or you did when i did it you biked up and down the volcano and ran along the coast there and it was absolutely stunning but that was actually one of the first races where I really started to realize how much I suffered in the heat because obviously it's, it's Hawaii, it's hot, it's humid. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting horrible cramps on the run in that race. And because that race was only like three and a bit hours long, it, it wasn't enough to completely ruin the race for me. And I still had a good result. But mm-hmm. I remember, you know, uh, even back then associating like my sweating, my sweat loss was really high and I was suffering all these cramps and things. And that was... I guess part of the start of what got me interested in in hydration and, and all that kind of stuff. Before we get a little deeper into that, I couldn't help but notice uh, one of your training partners was uh, was it Paul Newsom from yep, Swim that's Smooth? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How did yeah, how did you guys meet? Uh, we lived in the house next to each other at university, so literally, really? you know, across the across the street basically. And Paul and I got together in the first week of being at university, I think, because we were going to all the same training sessions and became pretty inseparable for a while we trained together turbo trainers set up in the, nice. in the room we'd go running and swimming and yeah we're still good good mates now so um, wow. keep in touch with paul even though he's moved away from the uk to australia wow well for those who might not know um he's he founded swim smooth swimsmooth.com right. yep. uh when i started triathlon in 2013 i had never swam before well besides lessons when i was a kid you know six seven years old and I was a, a college student and naturally if trying to find out how to do something, I just Googled it and, and, uh, yeah. you know, swim smooth was one of those first resources that came up and I really connected with the virtual graphic of the swimmer yeah. on the website with like ideal form. I think that's like the Mr. Swim smooth. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, Paul, Paul was always, he came from a swimming background and it was swimming with Paul initially was what helped to drag my level up from being pretty poor to, becoming more reasonable and then he obviously went on and like took that to the to the next level and the next level and then eventually ended up swimming the english channel and winning the round manhattan island race as an open water swimmer and all that sort of cool stuff and actually paul and i raced together two years ago we were both 42 years ago and we raced together in the otolo swim run world championships Uh, in sweden were you guys a team together yeah, you raced oh. those those races in pairs, so that was that was really cool. And I had to try and hang on to his feet in the water, which was <laughs> a good workout. <laughs> 
So real quick, uh, that's another thing that's fairly new, I think, nowadays is the swim run. Um, how, how does that work out? Is it like a, a swim and then you run and you swim again kind of thing, like a duathlon? Yeah, it's, it's a bit more organic than that, though. You tend to go from point to point. So the original race in Sweden is about, uh, I'm going to say it's about 60 miles or something like that total. And it's all broken up and you just swim between these little islands and you run across the islands and then you swim. Uh -huh. So the swim and run distances are really random. You can have you can have a swim that's 50 yards or you can have a swim that's 2,000 yards. Mm. And then you can have a run that's, you know, uh, either half a mile or you can have a run that's, six miles and you just piece it all together and like follow the follow the course and now they're springing up the original one was in sweden called the otolo world championships and then they've got a whole series all over the globe now so i've done some in the us um, i've done them in all over europe and it's a very cool sport and, yeah. and great for triathletes crossing over and the, and the best thing you don't have to fly around with a bike in the box <laughs> which is a logistical nightmare sometimes yeah. so Really, really cool. Well, shout out to um, Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. Uh, really great site. And I actually went to his website yesterday and he's still kicking. You know, they renovated it and yeah. it's looking good. So around when you were doing Xterra, you said you mentioned uh, that's when you were starting to really get into hydration. Was that kind of mm -hmm. one of the tipping points for you to eventually start precision hydration or how did that end up coming about? I think it was around that time because I did Xterra. I think it was around year, I mean, it's around millennium, around year 2000. I think in the same year, I maybe did my first Ironman as well. And I went into that. I mean, I was in good shape. I'd won, I'd, I'd won or was going to win my age group at the Worlds for Xterra. So I was, I was, you know, fit. But my Ironman performance was terrible. Um, I raced in Switzerland and it was very hot and I had cramps and fell apart on the run and really didn't enjoy it very much at all. And there was something that told me that it was to do with hydration. I knew I sweated a lot. And it was that that started the process of then gradually investigating, you know, sweat and hydration and electrolyte replacement over the and but it took me a few years because there wasn't a lot of information around at that time. Not a lot of information I could access very easily. And I ended up talking as much to doctors and medics as I did to anyone in sport. And it was a good friend of mine who's a, a medical um, doctor, a heart surgeon actually called Dr. Raj Jutley. He was the one who really sort of pushed me in the right direction, looking at salt loss in sweat mm -hmm. and then testing that because he initially said to me, I think from the symptoms you're describing, Andy, because I was getting low blood pressure, I was getting cramps, I was getting a condition called hypernatremia where you lose a lot of salt from your blood. And he said, you know what, I think you're just losing a lot of salt and we should test that. So That's he true. got me a sweat test in a hospital that totally changed my approach to hydration and also totally changed my ability to perform in the heat. So at that point, I didn't have the, any designs on sort of looking at this from a commercial business point of view, but for me, I knew that it solved my problem. And some of the, the blog posts on your website, I can see at the top, like uh, it's medically reviewed by Dr. Raj. So, you know, this isn't yeah. stuff that is, is made up. This is, you know, proven scientific uh, researched, facts and stuff. So I think one good place to, uh, to continue on is, you know, if we take a step back, a lot of us sweat every day, obviously, but we never really dig deeper into really what is sweat and why we sweat in the first place. So can you go into a little bit about, you know, why we sweat and, and really what sure. is it? 
Yeah, so humans sweat actually more than any other mammal on the planet, which a lot of people don't necessarily realise. You know, when we sweat because it's a very efficient way of losing heat to the external environment. Most other mammals, they pant and like your dog. If you take your dog for a run on a hot day, it will sit under a tree afterwards and just pant and pant and pant because it's just breathing out hot air basically to cool down. Now we don't, we sweat. And what that means is we can control our core body temperature even when it's really hot outside a lot more effectively than other animals. And that makes us great endurance athletes. But it also means that we lose tons more um, fluid from our body than, than other animals do. And that therein is the sort of trade-off because if we, if, we just, if we sweat and we don't consume enough fluid and eventually electrolytes, then we dehydrate a lot faster than other animals do. And then a large part of our sweat is the sodium too, right? Which which is where the, the hydration or yeah, the hydration of like electrolytes and salt replacement comes into place. Correct. Yeah. So basically what happens is sweat comes from your blood. So the watery part of your blood, if you've ever seen it, when they put blood into a centrifuge and spin it down, you end up with a little bit of red mass at one end, which is all the hemoglobin and red blood cells and things. And then a whole load of watery stuff. And that's called the plasma. And the plasma is like water with salts um, uh, diluted into it. And what happens when you, when you sweat is that the, the sweat comes from that blood plasma and it goes into the sweat glands and out onto the skin. And so it naturally contains quite a lot of electrolytes. Now, part of what your body does at the sweat gland is it reabsorbs some of those electrolytes because they're very valuable. But, but the, they, it doesn't always reabsorb a lot of the sodium. So you end up with a lot of sodium, a lot of chloride as well, actually, which is why you get what looks like regular table salt on your skin after you've been exercising in the heat because it, it is actually regular table salt. Mm. And at first you don't need to replace a lot of that when you're sweating only for a short amount of time or not in a great volume, because what will typically happen is you'll drink some water, you'll have some food with your, you know, you have a meal, it'll contain some sodium. The body kind of puts all that back together, puts it back into the bloodstream and you're all good. But the problem is when, as a triathlete, you start going out there for three, four, five, six, whatever, or more hours, training very hard, racing for long periods of time, you can sweat out so much fluid and so much salt mm. that you get really out of whack if you don't replace them in, in reasonable proportions compared with what you're losing. And that's what I was learning. So I was learning the hard way that I was drinking lots during my races, but predominantly just drinking water. Right. And after a while, what that does is it dilutes that blood plasma down and makes you quite ill because that blood plasma needs to be very salty. And if you don't, you get this condition, this horrible condition called hyponatremia, which can make you sick. And in some cases, it can kill people. And we, we still sadly see like a few people every year die from hyponatremia in marathons, in Ironman events and stuff, because this is not, although education about this is getting better, it's not fully out there in the public domain i don't think hypernatremia is uh, pretty much the opposite of dehydration right it's kind of when you overconsume yeah. water and Correct. um most of us you know just getting into the sport also pretty much are just like you drinking water uh going yeah. out on your runs and your bike rides yeah what are some signs of hyponatremia and how can people be aware of preventing that um one of the big signs with hyponatremia is that you can start to feel quite sort of um disorientated and nauseous 
Um, it can, it sometimes leads to muscle cramps with people. That was certainly a sign for me. Not, that's not the case for everyone, but, but we do often, often see that, um, kind of lethargy and fatigue, that kind of feeling you get when you're running out of energy, but not the feeling that you get when you just need sugar. Cause we've all had that feeling. If you've not taken enough food out on a bike ride, you know, and you kind of come home and you eat everything that's in the fridge, yep. then you know that, that feeling of low blood sugar. Well, it's kind of a bit like that, but it's like a low power and you just, you, it is a bit hard to describe, but you just feel really crappy. Yeah. And when you look at how you're feeling, if you are linking that at times and you're sweating a lot and you're drinking a lot of water, it could be that actually what you're looking at is an imbalance of salt with the water rather than, not enough water per se. How can those that know if they're losing a lot of sodium in in their sweat? Because I know you mentioned that you you're a very salty sweater. You guys have like a sweat test uh, questionnaire yeah. on the website. So how can we know that we're outputting a lot of sweat and how to account for that in our training? I, w- I would say the biggest sign for me as an individual was when I look back was the visible salt marks that I used to see on my kit and clothing, as well as the symptoms that I felt. So if I ever looked at my helmet straps on the bike or my running hat, and I still get it now with my running hats, this one hasn't because this is new, but I've usually got like a horrible white sort of crusty mm. sheen on top of my running hat in the summer because you just, you can see and, and you can get it on your, in your eyebrows and that kind of thing. I'd say if people see lots of visible salt on them after training, if they, feel like the salt stings in their eyes and tastes very salty and if they just generally feel crappy in the heat don't enjoy exercising in the heat that kind of thing all of those can be additional signs that it's just you know they're losing more salt than average in which case like trying to replace a bit more is is useful there's actually a little there's actually a blog on our website which talks in a lot of detail about kind of self-identifying whether you've got normal or high salt loss in your sweat and we could link to that for you so that people who are listening to this could have a more in-depth read if they want to yeah the, the thing that'd be definitely helpful when i took the the questionnaire on the precision hydration website it came back with a high result so yeah. again shout out to the team for sending over some uh, of ph 1000 and ph 1500 so i took them out actually for a test ride a couple of weeks ago i did a 60 yeah. miler which was actually the longest I've ever ridden. Um, prior to that, done a couple of half Ironman races, but yeah. I had just stuck to water. Uh, I had a water in the arrow position, a water bottle there, and then two bottles on the frame. One of the bottles yeah. would be Gatorade, and that's what kind of yeah. did it. And looking back, it got the job done, but I just remember being on the run, just like dying and <laughs> having a mixture of a little being a little bloated slash just the heat from it was in Florida, both of them just like killing me. So fast forward to present day, when I took it, I had one of the bottles mixed with uh, the pH 1000. So that's the uh, the effervescent electrolyte mix, right? And at 30 at the 30 mile mark halfway, I took some of that. And I started sipping that on the way back. And it started getting really hot, maybe around 10 a.m., you know, sun is out, no clouds. And then I just kind of felt that I really felt the heat getting to me. So I took some salt tabs, again, from uh, what they sent over, took two of those, and then just kept sipping on the, the electrolyte mix. And when I finished the, the ride, I felt I was feeling good. Like usually there's, there's this one bridge. We don't have hills here in, in uh, South Florida, <laughs> but we do have bridges that go over causeways. Yeah. And there's one bridge right before I get home that really just just sucks the life out of you. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm feeling pretty good right now. And then I had my 
post-ride uh, uh, smoothie. And, and then I had another um, for recovery, another uh, effervescent tablet when I got home. And usually on days like this, I pass out after I get home, uh, you know, yeah. upload to Strava and all that stuff. Take a picture on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, when, when, the, when the adrenaline wears off, I pass out for like two, three, four hours, just wake up really groggy. And I don't know yeah. if it was the salt that had to do with it, but I slept for maybe 40, 45 minutes and I felt yeah. good. Like I was ready for, for the do, rest of the day. I do find that a lot of people, myself included, notice if you get your hydration right, it's not necessarily the performance you feel during the session or whatever you can sometimes if you were really depleted it can help but a lot of the time it is the recovery afterwards because mm -hmm. you're not getting as, as low blood volume you know you're, you're not taking as long to recover afterwards so it does kind of yeah gets you ready for the next session a little bit better yeah. as you say which, which can be a good thing i used to find if i did a really long hard training session in the summer in england you know i would have to do what you were saying lie down i'd often get up off the couch later feel really lightheaded when I stood up fast and that kind of thing. And that can be a sign that your blood pressure is dropping because you've not, you know, and the, and the extra salt and fluid you know, mm -hmm. from the, from the stronger drinks can really help correct that. So it's not unusual to, to, to have what you've just described happen. How can, how can others who grew up in sports just drinking water and Gatorade, what would you encourage them to, to get into in terms of this hydration strategy i would say the, the the fundamental things around hydration the things that we see athletes doing wrong all the time which i think they can correct is the first one is is to like start sessions well hydrated but the thing is when you tell athletes to start sessions well hydrated they they probably just going to drink tons of water in the build-up thinking that that's what you've got to do and i'd say don't don't do that try having a very, very strong electrolyte drink. We make the pH 1500, which is about three times as strong as a regular sports drink. And just have a serving of that about an hour before you go out. And that, what happens then is the electrolytes in there pull more fluid into your bloodstream. They hold it there. So you start with a, a better blood volume and you, you're more ready to take the session on. And then once you, when you're getting into the session, it depends a lot on how long you're going for, you know, how much you sweat, what the weather's going to be like. And that's where probably the online sweat test that we do can come in handy because as you, you've done it yourself, it's, it's free, it's very easy and quick. And that will give you some ideas as to whether you're someone, it sounds like you've got low, medium, high or very high losses. And then we can give you a bit of a strategy to follow in there. And those strategies are often sort of guardrails rather than precise prescriptions because it's very it's, it's impossible actually for anyone to tell you exactly what you need to drink and exactly how much and exactly right. when but if you get some parameters around the two important things is like how much to drink in terms of volume per hour roughly and then how much sodium to have with that fluid you can then take those numbers and play around in a zone around them and sort of do trial and error to get it right for yourself and I think if you do that, and as well as starting sessions prehydrated, you're going a long way to figuring it out for yourself and getting the recipe right for you. And the worst thing people can do is copy what someone else does. Mm -hmm. Because if you copy someone whose physiology or whose environment is a lot different to yours, then you can be well off the mark. So I would right. say, you know, think of yourself as an individual and get this right for you and don't worry about what other people are doing. Yeah, that's a great point because for yourself, you're a pretty salty sweater. And for me, I think I'm on the high end, but not as much, obviously not as much as yeah. you. And then there could be others who have a much 
better tolerance. So key is to really just experiment with yourself and across different distances, across running and biking and see how you perform. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Paul's swim smooth thing where he's different, yeah. got his different swim types. That's always a great analogy for me because there's no point, you know, people say, what kind of drills should I do to improve my swimming? And it kind of totally depends on what the faults are in your swim stroke or what your body type does. Cause there's no point in getting some people to do a certain type of drill. If they're a, a certain type of swimmer and that's what Paul's done brilliantly is identify mm. these different categories that most of us fall into and then given kind of corrective ideas of what tends to work for that type of person and that's exactly what we're trying to do in a way with hydration plans is like there's no one plan that works for everyone so we can we can throw that myth out straight away but that doesn't also mean that there's there's got to be a totally bespoke and individual plan for every single person we just need to figure out what type of person you are then we know roughly what works and then it's over to you to play around in that zone and get it get it dialed perfectly right the personalization is very very important what would you say is uh the main differentiator inside of the precision hydration supplements like gatorade has around uh 300 milligrams of sodium would you say that your different products have different amounts of sodium content for the person of certain sweating level. Exactly. Yeah. So we basically do a, our lowest strength product is called pH 500. And that's a very similar strength to what you'd find in a Gatorade or a Powerade or any regular commercial sports drink. We then do the thousand one, which I think is the one that you've been testing, which is kind of a double strength. And we find that that works well for the majority of endurance athletes who are doing you know, longer, moderate workouts um, in hotter environments, that sort of thing, but whose sweat losses aren't maybe off the charts. Mm -hmm. And then we do pH 1500, which is the real, the big one. You know, it's got three times the electrolytes of a regular sports drink. And that's the, that's the heavy hitting one that you use when it's very, very hot and humid, when you've got loads of sweat loss, when you're doing ultra long events, or if you're just like me, someone who's, who's a bit crappy in the heat. And you, you just need that extra boost. So I know you guys do sweat testing, have some facilities around the US. What does the sweat test actually entail? How does that work? To, to get a sweat sample, most people would think that you have to exercise, but we actually use a piece of technology that comes from medical diagnostics where we put two electrodes on the inside of your forearm, just around here. They're about the size of a quarter coin, and then they stimulate the sweat glands in that area. And then we put a little collection device on there, which collects the sweat as it starts to be produced. We take that sweat sample after about 10 minutes and we run it through an analyzer just on the table. Yeah. And that tells us how much sodium you're losing. So it's a very, it's a relatively quick and easy test. The only downside is you have to go see someone who's got the equipment to get it done. But once you get there, it's, it's pretty painless. You don't have to go and sit on a, on a bike training or go and run <laughs> on a treadmill or anything like that. It just, it just, you know, tells you the concentration of what you lose. Mm -hmm. And that the reason we can do that remotely and do it um, one time is because most people's sweat sodium concentration is pretty steady for them. It doesn't really change much within an individual. So I must have been sweat tested like hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. But my number is always within plus minus about 5% of where it is. And then we test other. There's a guy, um, Sean, who's, who's um, one of our team who's based in North America in Vancouver. And Sean's like way down on the other end. He's got really low salt sweat, but we've tested him loads of times. It's always about the same. And we've got loads of data on lots of athletes demonstrating that this is, this is the case that once we test you, we kind of know where you are. So we don't need to worry about testing you time and time again. 
So would you say that the amount that you sweat or the amount of sodium or salt that you lose when you sweat, is that genetic? Like if my parents lived in hot and humid conditions, does that have any effect on my tolerance to, you know, sweating and handling the heat? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think it is largely genetic because of the way that it tends to, we've seen it run in families a little bit. So we've tested a number of athletes that are twins, you know, pairs of athletes that are twins. And and I've never seen a pair where their sweat sodium scores weren't Mm. very, very close. I think that the fact that it doesn't move around too much based on other lifestyle factors also suggests that it's quite genetic. The fact that it's pretty stable. I don't know if it's as simple as, you know, inheriting something. If your parents live in a hot environment, then yours would be lower because theirs would, because I think it's, it's passed on a lot more, you know, through generations. So um, I think otherwise we wouldn't see people anymore with high sweat sodium losses in, who live in hot environments, for example, but we see it all over the map. So I think, I think it is fair to say that although the science isn't definitive around that point, it's got something to do with how the sweat glands reabsorb sodium. And I think, for instance, my sweat glands are obviously just poor at reabsorption mm-hmm. and someone else's like might be quite a bit better. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought about that because my parents, they're from uh, the Philippines. They moved over here in the, in the late eighties and we get cold very easily <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. So, you know, I've always wondered about that, but um, the sweat test. So I looked it up and the closest one to me was Orlando, Florida yeah. uh, for a precision hydration facility. Speaking of Orlando, I don't know if you've heard or follow NBA, but all the NBA games are going to be mm. played in Orlando. And I saw in one of your recent videos that you recently watched uh, the Last Dance documentary. So, yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, what do you think about that? Really great, really great documentary, right? I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, it, I've I've um, followed you know, Jordan like a lot of people have in sports for for a long time, but that was a really interesting look into his life and especially and a look into the team and I thought the, the 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 way that team was run and that kind of thing was super impressive actually um I don't know if it showed Jordan in a great light but then mm. we probably all know that he was a difficult guy to play with and live with and all that sort of thing but I thought it was I thought it was a really cool documentary it had me hooked for a few weeks yeah while it was on. yeah I mean I mean I in the 90s and late 80s I was born in 90s so I don't yeah. I never really watched this game so it was really kind of cool to see all those different highlights and and see how he was in the locker rooms, just a fierce competitor. But uh, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at over here is precision hydration also uh, tests or helps hydration in different sports like the NBA, uh, NFL, yeah. and you know soccer. With because uh, I'm a big basketball fan in particular, what is the hydration strategy for like a 48 minute? NBA game? Because when we're you know watching on TV, these guys just have their Gatorade cups. And I can't help but think there's Gatorade in there, but every now and then I'll see like a water bottle with no label on it and they're hitting those back. So what does that look like for NBA players? Yeah, it's a good point because NBA is obviously vastly different demands to something like triathlon where you could be out there for hours and whatever. But what makes the NBA stuff challenging is that the guys are very big. So by, by the fact of their size and their speed and their power and the intensity of the game, they sweat a lot. You know, we've we've seen NBA players who are sweating like two, three liters per hour. So they lose a lot of sweat in a relatively short space of time. And what and also they play a lot of games back to back. They do a lot of practicing in between games and they do a lot of traveling. 
obviously they won't be doing the traveling when they run in Orlando, but they <laughs> will still be playing a very sort of vigorous schedule. So their, their challenge with hydration is not so much that they be, can become like really dehydrated in one game, but it's the cumulative effect of like training game travel day after day after day. So they have to, they have to take care of their hydration for prehydration before games to make sure they start really well hydrated they'll probably during the games they'll settle into a routine that they're comfortable with so i know that there'll be some guys that just drink water there'll be some guys that do drink the gatorade we definitely supply teams with a ton of product that they use to give individual players especially those who have higher sweat losses and higher salt losses we'll give them strong that they have stronger products which they'll take during the games which they tend to find beneficial we've had a good record with a few nba players reducing cramps and things like that later on in games Mm. by them having the stronger products if they're heavier sweaters and then what they also tend to do a lot of the teams i've actually got some on the desk here around um, they'll tend to use some like the the 1500 the ph 1500 that we do yep. they'll have that immediately post game for recovery for the mm. same reason that you were saying you know like when they when they finish it it helps them to to recover faster so they're not feeling as lethargic and then because quite often they've got to go immediately from the court to a transport maybe even getting on a plane and then getting up and doing it all again the next day so they place a lot of emphasis on on recovery and and obviously also on individualization because an nba team is a great example for this um they've only got you know a small number of guys compared to say an nfl organization which could be looking after 60 odd players with the nba it's manageable to individualize some of these things a Mm. bit more so they tend to you know sweat test everyone focus on what the individual's requirements are and then educate them to to meet their their needs a bit better so <clears throat> nba players are no different they sweat a lot i mean i i play basketball too and you know when you're going man to man some of these guys are just you're up against them and my arm is just covered not in my sweat but in their sweat yeah, too. So. yeah yeah there was a guy when we tested we tested the players at the new york knicks a few years ago and there was a guy there that sweated so much he basically had to change his shirt like two or three times every <sighs> practice session and they had a little guy running on the court with a squeegee mop after him so that the other players didn't slip over in his sweat oh. that's how much he used to, to sweat so that, you know, yeah that's the worst you know. when you're playing in a gym and someone falls on the floor and then there's just a big puddle of sweat there and we're yeah. <laughs> stepping over it and stuff all right yeah. don't go there yeah. so if, if any uh nba players are listening to this right now you're going to be in orlando so check out uh precision hydration sweat exactly. test <laughs> If you're out there, but I know you mentioned um, preparation before the game. I think that's something triathletes. It's important for triathletes as well. Is is preloading? So can you get into you know what are some good basic preloading strategies and really what is it for and how it can help triathletes? Yeah, well, like I said before, I think one of the big mistakes is before a race, people think I've got to be really well hydrated. I'm going to drink as much as I can. And they drink tons of water in the days building up and they're peeing all the time. And that's really clear pee. And they think that's great. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really hydrated. But actually what they're doing is flushing the electrolytes through their body. They're, they're starting to get into a state of even maybe mild hyponatremia. And that's backed up by data. So we've seen studies at ultramarathons and at triathlons where they've taken blood samples from competitors before the start and found that they're already a little bit hyponatremic. Wow. And kind of the only real explanation for that is that people have overhydrated before the start line. So what we'd say is that you might want to drink a little bit more than normal in the two or three days before an event to make sure that you're not behind, that you are sort of fully topped up, but don't go crazy with that. 
and then in the last 24 hours have a very very strong electrolyte drink the night before the event if it's an early morning start and then one in the hour before you start and that's only a small serving that's probably 12 maybe 16 ounces okay. very very strong in sodium 1500 milligrams per liter or more and what that does is that pulls the sodium into the bloodstream the fluid goes with it it expands your blood volume but it doesn't dilute your bloodstream down too much so you end up better hydrated and less with less need to run off to the bathroom we okay. found that's a really really good strategy for triathletes to follow there's a again there's a blog all about that with the protocol on our website so we can share that link with you so people can jump straight to it if they want to have a, a more detailed read definitely i'll uh, link it up in the show notes let's say someone forgot to pack their their hydration or their, their precision hydration it's the night before if they wanted to eat an extra salty meal would that help or act as preloading the next day at the race would it would it help them in any way I think to an extent, it's not going to be as good as taking a strong electrolyte drink in the hour, be hour or so before, but I would always encourage it, alongside that is for athletes in the last two or three days to have a little bit more salt on their food because you're going to, you're going to perspire a lot, whatever happens, you're going to lose a lot of salt. So there's no harm in taking a little bit extra in. I think salt's got a very bad name from, with most people, but actually for athletes, it's quite a good thing especially in the in the build-up to an event. So I wouldn't hesitate to put a bit more salt on your food. How does something very, I find very interesting, how would all of this affect someone who is hypertensive, who has like high blood pressure, you know? We lose salt when we sweat, but how about those who are more prone to high blood pressure? How would this all affect them? Yeah, the, the first thing to say on that, the most important thing is obviously that you know, what, what we are, I'm a physiologist and, you know, but I'm not a medical doctor and people need to talk to their doctors individually about that kind of thing. Cause there's lots of different causes for people to have high blood pressure. Um, one of them can be salt sensitivity. And if people are salt sensitive then taking extra salt and extra sodium is clearly a bad idea. I think though there are, there is an increasing school of thought that a lot of people are maybe not specifically hypertensive because of salt sensitivity. And if they're not, then if they are athletes and they are exercising, then taking additional sodium at times when they're sweating quite a lot, especially if they have high sweat losses and high salt losses, is probably not a bad thing because mm -hmm. all you're doing is correcting for what they're losing additionally to what they would lose normally. And, and if, you, if you don't follow that, then you could actually run, run the risk of becoming depleted. There's a, there's, if people are interested in that, there's a very interesting book called The Salt Fix, okay. which is by a doctor whose name is on the tip of my tongue. I'll tell you if i remember it but if people googled the salt fix they would they would find it yeah. and it is in, in one sense the book's quite extreme because it's very pro salt but but on the other side what it does do is it does paint a pretty compelling picture about the fact that people who lose a lot more salt like athletes or manual laborers and people that work in the heat probably don't probably need to concentrate on getting a normal or higher level of salt in their diet than what's recommended rather than reducing it and you know that's I think it's a complicated picture and there's no, there's no simple answer and that people, what people shouldn't do is like start to ignore what their doctors have told them or anything like that. But at the same time, I think if you're, even if you've got high blood pressure, if you're an athlete and you're doing a lot of sweating, then talking to your doctor and reading up about salt replacement, sodium replacement should be on, on top of your priority list. Because if you're deliberately restricting that, it could be that that's hampering your performance, hampering your recovery. If you're not meeting your actual 
needs based on what you're sweating out. Yeah, definitely. It's a kind of a tricky subject, but yeah, like you said, reach out to your doctor first and foremost, but I think it's something that, you know, should be brought up because there's people out there. I mean, me personally, I'm not hypertensive, but my blood pressure is a little higher than you would expect in someone who does so much endurance. So going to the doctor and checking out the sweat test and seeing really um, how much salt you're losing would be would be really helpful. So to anyone else who might be in, uh, in that position. So speaking of preloading and having hydration the night before the race, oftentimes we're traveling to different cities, um, whether you know, you're going to a race or maybe the night before a big training session, you just kind of want to wind down. And with the winding down and traveling to other cities comes alcohol, getting a good old drink. Obviously, yeah. we know that too much of it will hamper performance and give you a hangover, but what will one or two drinks do the night before a race? Um, I personally never do it before the race because it's just, I don't know if it's a, it's a mental thing, even just one beer, I wouldn't do that, but I do have a couple beers before a training day cause it's not a race. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on having a, a drink or two before a big race? I, I would say as an athlete, I'd find it unusual for a lot of serious athletes to drink the night before a race but i reckon that's got like you say as much to do with the kind of superstition and the and the fact that you're getting in the zone and you're doing everything you can to prepare so it seems counterintuitive to do it right. i think the reality is for a lot of people if you if you have a drink from time to time if you had a drink the night before it's probably not going to make a lot of difference the only the only thing might be that i don't know as you get older certainly i think alcohol disrupts sleep quite a bit and you obviously often don't sleep as well when you've had a drink and so that might be a, a sensible reason the, the most sensible reason to avoid it the night before a race when it's going to be tough to sleep often anyway but i, I think one drink you know the amount because the problem with alcohol is it's a diuretic is or one of part of the problem is, is it's diuretic it makes you pee a lot so then that affects your fluid and electrolyte balance you end up a bit dehydrated a bit hyponatremic if you drink too much and so, but one drink isn't going to really do that to you. So probably not a big deal. Um, what I would say is if you do have a couple of drinks, you know, celebratory drinks or whatever the night after a race, um, and this is not supposed to be a product plug, but like taking an electrolyte drink or something like that before and after will actually probably make you feel a bit better because mm. you are going to, you're, if you've already done a race and become dehydrated and then you drink lots of alcohol, you're only going to get more dehydrated. So a strong electrolyte drink for recovery is probably a pretty good idea in that in that sort of situation. Yeah, it's good that you brought up drinking after the race too, because a lot of races have you know your beer ticket. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and and go to the beer tent with your beer ticket. And I think it was like one of the first articles on on your website. I went back to the very first page and you had written an article about the effects of, of alcohol and drinking it after a workout or after a race really doesn't, it doesn't really help or aid in the recovery of, of your muscles and the nutrients, right? No, not massively. I think it's, it's probably, I think again, like the, the thing, one drink is probably not, not too impactful in any way. And it's all part of the process. But then you get into the whole world of the trade-off of, you know, if you've had a really good race and you're around and the weather's warm and you're with your friends and there's a beer tent and that kind of thing, like, well, we're, we're all human. You know, you're probably going to want to have a couple of drinks. And in that case, you know, you're trading off the, the perfection of the best possible recovery for having a nice time and enjoying yourself. 
and I think that's you know that's every that's everyone's own choice, but that that seems perfectly fine. But you know, having a, having a few drinks, for instance, after a hard training session during a really hard training block, probably is a bad idea because you're not going to optimize your recovery then. And that and during that phase, that's what you that's what you're looking for because you've probably got to get up again and train hard the next day. And if you've got to do that, you've got to try and you know try and try and look after yourself the best you can. Let's say you know we're we're in the off season, um, like maybe in December somewhere, a holiday party, and someone actually has too much to drink. They have a hangover in the morning. Can they turn to something like precision hydration to aid in the in the hangover in addition to some we, burgers? <laughs> well, we call it we call it the off label use for for pH fifteen hundred. <laughs> so I think it does it it always helps. Yeah, after our sort of we we get together at the end of the year, get the pH crew together um we're mainly based in the uk but we've got a couple of people abroad sean flies over from canada and often you know there's a few there's a few drinks had and then the ph 1500 has to come out the next morning you know <laughs> to get everyone into the office so yeah i think it works all right well definitely keep that in mind pedialyte is one of those other off off label uses how does it kind of differ from something like pedialyte or is it kind of the same it's very similar i think the difference with pedialyte is that it contains mainly sodium chloride to get the sodium in and that makes it taste very salty it makes it quite difficult for, for some some people find it difficult to drink we use sodium citrate in our similar product the ph 1500 which is a lot less overtly salty and it's a bit more palatable and a bit easier to drink in large quantities because pedialyte is designed to be drunk in relatively small volumes by children and mm -hmm. you know people who are very dehydrated you're not supposed to be drinking bottles and bottles of it as you would on an iron man or, or something mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, small quantities, it's probably fine. But if you're going to drink a bit more, the pH stuff might be a bit easier on your stomach. Well, definitely uh, pack that for, uh, you know, <laughs> some some trips coming up. Um, yeah. Really cool. So what would you say is next for Precision Hydration? Uh, you guys have been doing really well for a while, helping a lot of athletes around the world. So uh, what are some things on the horizon for you guys? Well, we've, we've taken this period over the last few months when obviously we've not been traveling as much and we've been, we've been working from home and that kind of thing and people have been a bit more isolated. We've set up um, uh, the ability to do one-to-one -one video calls with athletes. So that's something that if any of your listeners want to call us up and have questions about hydration and nutrition, there's no charge for that. It's a totally complimentary service. We don't, we won't even try to sell you something, you know, we just want to talk to athletes and I can send you a booking link so that people can, can reach out, get in touch. Because what we've found is that while we can't get out and about and meet athletes at races and shows and expos and that kind of thing, we've enjoyed interacting with them online while, while they're also maybe stuck at home. So that's, that's a big part of our future now is building that into our customer service department so that athletes can talk to us and get the advice they need about hydration and nutrition and then in the bigger picture we've also been working um, on lots of different little projects which all relate to wearable technology so i think in the future you'll probably see wearable tech either in your watch or in your forearm sleeve or mm -hmm. some kind of device that measures your sweat while you're exercising and we're talking with lots of people who are making moves in that space and looking to use our expertise and then taking that information and translating it into what it means for performance and kind of developing partnerships there. So that's very exciting for us. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wearables is, that's a huge space. I mean, we're, we're getting the heart rate from, you know, EKGs, I think from like the Apple watch. So being able to determine sweat, sweat loss would be really cool. 
Yeah, I don't think it's that far away either. I think yeah. looking at some of the prototypes that are out there, I think in the next year or two, we'll start seeing a few early products coming to market. And then that'll be really cool because we'll be able to measure sweat during exercise for prolonged periods. We'll be able to learn a lot, lot more about how that relates to hydration and nutrition and performance. So that's that's what we're excited about in the longer run. Very cool. Looking forward to that too. Shout out again to the to your team. I went on your YouTube channel and yeah, I saw all of the, the interviews, the different interviews with different athletes and stuff. So it's really cool that you guys are getting out there and writing a lot of blog articles for people to read. So you guys have a lot of resources about sweat and hydration. So if anyone is interested in that, be sure to check it out on their website. For you, uh, Andy, what are you up to nowadays besides running uh, the company and, and doing swimming, swim runs? Yeah, it's been, I have been doing a lot of swim runs the last few years. I actually, um, very, very recently, I haven't ridden a bike properly for years with, with all the travel that I've been doing, but I've been in lockdown in the UK. I've been at home. I'm not going anywhere. So I um, I got my hard-earned money out and bought myself a gravel bike the other day, ah, and uh, nice. so I've been getting back into it. I've been getting back into that, and a few of the guys here. We've we live in a fantastic place called the New Forest, which has just hundreds of miles of gravel trails. So you can pretty much ride all year round, even if it's a bit wet, and almost I can get onto the trails within ten minutes of my front door. So yeah. so just recently I went out and tried tried riding again, and I'm. Basically, my short-term goal is to build some quads again because it seems to have disappeared. <laughs> Get those quads back. Yeah, well, it sounds like mission. you live in like a, a beautiful area down over there in the South UK. You said, yeah, we're on the south coast. So Precision Hydration are based in a place called Christchurch, which is kind of right in the middle of the UK on the coast. It's it's a beautiful little place. We're about ninety minutes outside of London. And if anyone's ever visiting and they want to come and have a sweat test or they want to come and meet the crew, then they can they can look us up and drop in. We'd love to see them. Definitely. Uh, Yourself included, if you make it over. <laughs> oh, yeah, I appreciate that. I might have to, which reminds me, uh, I think uh, Chris mentioned that uh, you're a big craft beer guy. So I have to ask, like, what kind of beers are you drinking these days? Well, I actually, I would say, in lockdown, I've been I've been moving it around. We drink. People in the US will think we're terrible. I drink quite a bit of Miller Lite. I quite <laughs> like Miller Lite. I know that's a yeah. terrible thing to say if you're supposed to like proper beer. Yeah. The best beer, beer is a beer in your hand. Exactly. If it's if it's icy cold. So we got put onto Miller Lights by our um, friend who's the nutritionist at the Green Bay Packers up in Wisconsin, ah. where he said that when you're in Wisconsin, no one drinks water or like anything else you just it's just miller light <laughs> he reckons that that's that's the staple choice so yeah that's probably it's i don't know whether it's one of my favorites but it's what i've been drinking recently do you have any breweries or like beer spots in the area where you're at yeah just down the road from us about uh probably six seven miles away we've got a very famous uh, good brewery called the ringwood brewery okay and they do a lot of old english type ales and beers and things like that so mm. yeah if you're into your beer and you come over, we'll take you for a tour around the brewery there. Yeah. Tasting session. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2018, uh, my friends and I did a kind of a, a little Euro trip. I like to call it a beercation. So we did Oktoberfest in Munich and yeah. went to Brussels and went all around the, cool. you know, the Trappist beers and stuff. So yeah, if I'm ever in your, in your neck of the woods, I'll definitely hit you up. Yeah. Come and do it. It'd be good fun. 
All right. So uh, let's just wrapping this up, Andy. Are there any, where can everyone find you and the, and the team at Precision Hydration? Is there anything you want to shout out or plug at this time? I think the best thing is say, if people have got questions, come to precisionhydration.com. Our blog on there has loads of information on there and our YouTube channel is starting to pick up a bit of stuff now. Um, the blog's all keyword searchable. If you can't find something, just email us at hello at precisionhydration.com. You can even WhatsApp us through the website now and we'll send you the link so that people can book a one-to-one call so if anyone wants to to do any of those things then we would love to hear from you because like i say we love chatting to athletes we're all athletes in the office we love talking triathlon running ultras you know cycling whatever it is so yeah get in touch and, and if we can help help you out in some way we'd love to great sounds good i'll link it all up in the show notes so andy thank you so much for your time really appreciate it and this was this was a great conversation yeah, no worries. Thanks, thanks for you, thanks for your time and all your questions, Jeremy. And we'll we'll see you on a beercation in the UK. Not <laughs> too long. Most definitely. Thank you. All right, so that was me and Andy Blow. Such a great guy. We had a really fun time chatting. If you might have missed it in the beginning, Precision Hydration is offering 15% off your entire first order if you just use the code TRIATHLETEBEAT at checkout. So definitely go to precisionhydration.com browse their products and order something, I guarantee you won't regret it. They also offer free one-on-one video chat sessions with their sweat experts. So if you want to get a little deeper into the topic of sweat and hydration, I'll leave a booking link down in the show notes. Be sure to check out Precision Hydration on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. They have a lot of resources out there, a lot of blog posts. And while you're at it, check me out on Instagram as well at the Triathlete Beat on Twitter at Triathlete Beat and on YouTube at Jeremy Try, where I post vlogs, triathlon tips, and video snippets of the podcast. All of our social media links and more will be posted on this episode's webpage show notes for your convenience. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a review and subscribe on whichever podcast app that you're using. Share it with some friends, share it with some family. It would truly mean so much to me. All right, I will see you in the next episode. Until then, train happy, have fun, and just try. Thanks for taking a seat with the Triathlete Beat.